When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. White Sox fans, guess what? It is the Sox <laughs> Populi derived from the Latin. We just call it Sox Pop. It's a mothership podcast. Guess what? It's number 150. And you know, when it comes to 150, we don't mess around. We get the big guns. Finally, 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 after years of working together, Mark Liptak hopping on podcasts uh, with me, very willing, including the Mothership Podcast. Not just history. Oh, he's watching this team, and he's probably as dismayed as the rest of us. Mark, thank you for joining on mildly, the Mothership yes. Podcast. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Brett. Thank you. My favorite part of these types of podcasts is talking some numbers up top, and they're always depressing, depressing so I, it's <laughs> actually not a favorite at all. But the White Sox right now, 32 and 44. That's a 421 winning percentage. Oh, it's been worse. They are at least over 400 now. Yeah. Six games back in the Central Division, which is really nothing to be proud of. The run differential, minus 62, awful, but also projects to a 68 and 94 record, which is actually what the winning percentage, 421, projects to as well. So we are looking at a team well into the 90s losses, not anywhere near what we were promised in the middle of the contention window, Mark. Uh, Third worst in the American League, sixth worst in all of baseball. And when you say third worst in the American League, the two teams worse are the Kansas City Royals and the Oakland Athletics, debatably not even major league teams this year. So in theory, the worst team in the American League. Uh, It's been a hideous season so far, some stop and go in June. So impressions... Uh, that you have right now of this team, Mark, in terms of what they've done, what they could do. How are you feeling about the White Sox? I'm not going to say anything, Brett, that most White Sox fans haven't already come to the conclusion of. Sure. Uh, we're not talking the Ten Commandments here. <laughs> they need new ownership. Yeah. That's It all stems from the top. Yeah. I'm not saying anything good or bad toward Jerry Reinsdorf. I'm just saying it's pretty clear, and I did a a detailed story in November. Uh, I called it the State of the White Sox. I spoke with a half a dozen people, all connected in some way professionally with the organization, either inside the organization or outside the organization. And to get complete candor, I said, I will not use your names. I will not even tell what positions you're in. Mm-hmm. I did not want any blowback. And I w- what I was told, Brett, was shocking even to me. The infighting, the dysfunction, the incompetence. I, again, it, 
it's something has to change. And I don't know, I was told Jerry Reinsdorf is still mentally alert. He still drives himself at 86. But I was also told people don't know if he wants to go through having to replace a front office and start all over again when you're 86 years of age. So I don't know if anything is really going to change. And I wish I could say, yeah, there's some positive news on the horizon. There's some hope on the horizon. I don't see it. Yeah. I wish someone could point it out to me. Yeah. The White Sox are not willing to go astronomical numbers in free agency. Their farm system is poor. I don't know where you're going to get the talent from, even in a division as poor as the Central, or as we call it, the Comedy Central Division. <laughs> I think that's what's scary, Mark, about where the team is at. Not Let's not even talk about necessarily on the field, which we're going to get to. But when you talk about ownership, when you talk about a front office, you're in a situation here. And I mean... The, the topic itself has its own like morbidity, but you know, it's something we got to talk about it. Hey, listen, we're having to watch this product. So, you know, uh, no holds mm-hmm. barred. I mean, we're in a situation where as you just laid out, you know, Jerry is able, uh, we're, we're not seeing that being executed, but he's able, uh, but yet also not so able that he wants to make a change. That's going to really do anything materially for this team. So we are in a situation where as bad as it is now, and as bad as last year was, it was a big, you know, setback, even just to be 500, we could be looking at, I mean, we could look be looking at the better part or even the entirety of this decade where where it's just a treading water situation because nothing really is going to change. Given the situation with ownership, not going to sell and not going to make changes. Yes. You're stuck. Yes. Well, and he's not going to sell. People have said, well, sell the team, sell the team. And okay, that would be nice. But there's some realities here, Brett. As you know, we did that story in August of 2021. The tax hit, the capital gains tax hit, if Jerry Reinsdorf were to sell the team while he is still with us, is roughly $200 million on a $2 billion sale of the franchise. The franchise is valued right now at about $1.7 billion, according to Forbes. Let's round it off to $2 billion to make it easier mathematically. The capital gains tax is $200 million plus the Illinois state tax, where if Jerry, who started, he know this, or many people don't, he started his career working for the IRS. Nobody knows more about the tax situation than JR, where if he has his family divest themselves of the team after he has gone, there is no capital gains tax. And the Illinois state tax is also a lot less. So from purely a financial standpoint, and Jerry Reinsdorf, nobody has ever accused him of not being very smart. He is not selling. Yeah. Period. We, we like so to- that is not going to happen barring something totally unexpected. And the few times that he has been public with those comments, they've all been consistent. He has yeah. told his family keep the bulls, sell the White Sox. Yeah, we like to think of uh, these sports teams, and they certainly have meaning beyond, you know, a tall building in downtown Chicago or Mm -hmm. some 
uh, faceless corporate entity, but we like to think of sports teams of having their having the, the civic aspect of them that is that it is owned by the people, is owned by the fans who walk through the turnstiles. But when you can't be willing to sell, perhaps for the good of uh, of that civic angle to it, at a at a ten percent hit uh, with this capital gains, when you're making an enormous profit over your initial investment and probably an enormous profit over what the team's worth, as you pointed out. You know the bidding is going to go higher than what technically Forbes says it's worth. That's just the nature of all of these teams. Yes. Certainly one in a major media market and with the uh, the, you know, the, the history, although he's selling it these days, uh, the history of the White Sox, uh, you know is going to go higher than estimates and can be pushed higher than estimates. So, I mean, really, that's where the buck stops. It's like, well, we can say we own the White Sox, we don't own the White Sox because we are held hostage by this. It's not trivial. I get it. It's not true. We're talking about $200 million. But in the the big scope, the larger scope for the Reinsdorf family, give me a break. But, you know, you decide you're not going to go there. You've been consistent with it. I mean, he's not going to he's not going to change because he sees a billboard. He's not going to change because um, Twitter's angry at him. So, right. I mean, we are stuck in a situation now, Mark, where we're talking about not just, oh, we just got to bleed out the year. This isn't like well, let's wait for Tony La Russa to to move on, and then there'll be a new you know managerial leadership, and maybe the the team will be different. No, this is an ownership that may, I mean, <laughs> for practical purposes, really not be ending anytime soon, and we're and we really we really are going to be stuck. The only change that may happen, again, in my story, and it has been rumored, and I was told that Kenny Williams has told Jerry. When his contract is up, he ha- he is retiring. Mm-hmm. Now, when that contract is up, I've been given conflicted comments. Uh, I was told by one individual this year, if the contract is up, I've been told by another individual, it's after the 2024 season. But everybody has told me the same thing. Kenny will retire. That, at least in the immediate horizon, the near horizon seems to be the only change. What happens when Kenny retires? Most people are assuming that Rick Hahn will be kicked upstairs into Kenny Williams' position. Who takes over as the general manager? The betting money would be on Chris Getz because Jerry Reinsdorf is familiar with these people. He's comfortable with these people. He's signing their paychecks. So he basically has 51% of the vote. Mark, I didn't think that talking about something other than the on-field performance could be more depressing, but we have actually led this podcast off with more depressing news and information than the actual performance on the field. As Kenny himself has said, quote, it is what it is, (laughs) unquote. (laughs) Well, I still think Ken's last task before he gets to retire is to be handed the keys to to, uh, oversee a new change in direction. And who knows, it could be his son who ends up playing a bigger role than we think. I cannot fathom that Chris Getz becomes the general manager of this team, but that's the exciting stuff we're going to see as the rest of the decade plays. I mean, we're asking like Rick Hahn's going to go anywhere. And that seems unlike, as you're saying, he's, he's, he's going to get fired or quit. He'll, if anything, he'll get kicked upstairs to a cushier corner office. He'll take Ken Ken's um, office. and Maybe. Uh, that would be the logical progression based on past experience. Now, anything can happen. I mean, something could happen tomorrow. 
And again, I want to be clear, I'm not wishing ill on Jerry Reinsdorf. I'm simply saying the man is 86. Mm -hmm. Anything can happen. If there is new ownership, and there will be at some point, I mean, it's, it's human inevitability. Everything is off the table. Yeah. You know, you're starting from scratch again. Now, it could be worse. <laughs> you have no idea who the new owner or owners yeah. could be. Oh, yeah. I've been told by people, more than likely, the next owner of the White Sox will not be an individual. Mm -hmm. It will be a company, a corporation, because they're basically the only ones that could afford to buy the team. It's yeah. very hard for even a extremely yeah. wealthy individual to come yeah. up with $2 billion yeah. to buy a team. Yeah. There are exceptions, of course. Uh, I've seen the name Mark Cuban floated around by people hoping that he would do so. I know Cuban at one time did an interview where he said, and he's remember, he's already been rejected once by Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. He said if he could own a team, it would be the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah. Because that's the team he grew up rooting for as a kid in Indiana. Yeah. So it's possible that you could get a Warren Buffett-like person to come in and say, hey, okay, I'll write you a check for $2 billion. I want the team. But more than likely, from what I've been told, it will be a corporation. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, again, uh, believe it or not, despite how depressed I've become, Mark, we're going to take a break. We are going to come back and continue to talk about the White Sox. I don't know what Blame this me. is going to do for either one of our psyches, but we are we're <laughs> tough. We've been longtime Sox fans, so we're going to stick this one out, talk for another 10 or 15 minutes. So we're going to take a break. Sure. If you're not already thrown off, if you're not already run off by the topic of this, which is the Chicago White Sox, you tuned into this podcast, people. You knew what we were going to talk about. But if you're not That's scared right. off, stick around. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. We're going to talk about what's going on on the field and maybe a little historical perspective there as well. Hang sure. with us in a minute. We'll be back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. White Sox fans, it is number 150. We don't mess around when it comes to 150. We bring Mark Liptak on to the podcast. First time. I'm not quite 150, but I'm getting <laughs> No insinuations whatsoever. It's a special podcast and a special guest, Mark Liptak, who, as you all know, Thank you, sir. is our de facto historian uh, when it comes to, unfortunately, when a player passes. Mark is usually the guy we turn to to put his impact on the White Sox in perspective. He's the guy doing... 90% plus of all the uh, grinder work and it comes to our almanac that we run every single day on Southside Sox. Uh, you get to enjoy that because of Mark's hard work. Uh, we are updating that. We are, of course, launching a bit of podcasting into the history arena as well, something you're going to be able to enjoy here pretty soon in a couple weeks or so. But we are going to pull ourselves out of history which, believe me, is better Better to look back on history. As <laughs> as the White Sox history has been, a way better look back on history because there are actual highlights than the 2023 season. Uh, up top of the podcast pointed out that this is a team projected now to lose 94 games. They've managed to navigate this difficult June schedule adequately, better than I probably would have anticipated two-thirds of the way through. Uh, but still, it's not going to end up 
good. It's not going to end up better than 500. Uh, this is going to be another body blow to the White Sox and a team going into June who did not need any more body blows. As close as they are to the top of the division, this is a team that is lost, somewhat hopeless, not sure we're seeing leadership, not sure we're seeing the consistent strong play, uh, anyone taking the vacuum of, say, Jose Abreu. Uh, this is a team that really just seems to be in disarray. I'm curious on your take on what you're seeing on the on-field product. For a long time, Brett, sorry, we're going to be depressing again. <laughs> For a long time, fundamentals have been a strange and unknown word to this organization. Yeah. Advancing runners, getting runners over from second to third, scoring runners with less than two outs. Yeah. And again, this is a dirty word to the sabermetrics people, being able to bunt, to execute a hit and run, knowing what to do on relays, knowing yeah. what to do on rundowns. Yeah. And what's really frustrating to me, and this, Brett, is my 63rd season of following the team. My memories begin about the time I was five years old in 1960. Every year you see the manager, and I think 2005 was probably the last time the fundamentals were really good. But then it started to go downhill, and you'd hear Ozzy talk, and you'd hear Robin Ventura talk, and you'd hear Rick Renteria talk, and Tony La Russa, and now Pedro yeah, we're working on this. We're, we're getting it. We're spending a lot of time. You hear this constant refrain in spring training. And then when the bell rings, it's the same stuff. Yeah. Now, I can only draw two conclusions from that because there's a long enough track record now. One, either the coaching staff is incapable of teaching this stuff correctly, or two, the players, for whatever reason or reasons, are incapable of learning it and executing it. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's probably a combination of both. But the bottom line is this franchise cannot do the little things that win games. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you can guarantee me that they're going to hit three, two, and three-run home runs a night. Right. Right. If you can guarantee yeah. me that, that they're sure. going to score seven, eight, run, nine runs a game, every game, then you don't need to worry about the fundamentals. Yeah. But you can't guarantee that. Yeah. And market. those little things mean wins and losses yeah. because you're simply not going to be hitting multiple home runs with men yeah. on base, especially this team that does not draw walks, yeah. does not have a uh, high batting average and does not have a high on base percentage. Yeah. 30 the, of the last 41 make it 31 of the last 42 home runs. The White Sox have hit as of this podcast were solo home runs. <laughs> Almost like they're trying to Mark, you can, um, you can, you can um, disdain, feel disdain towards sort of the, some of the hubris you, you hear from organizations like the Dodgers or the Cardinals and the Cardinal way and all that. And, and I mean, it sets itself up to be made fun of, but the truth is, they have that. There is actually a book, yes. right or wrong. There's a book that says this is how we do things in this organization. And I, it seems like maybe the Go-Go White Sox might have had something like that. I, I certainly know into the 50s they were maybe actually ahead of the curve when it came to some of the, 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 the numbers and evaluating the game. But, boy, it's been 
years, if not decades, since the White Sox have been there. And maybe they ought to try to bring in somebody who's actually going to say, you know what? We got a way. Here's how it's going to be. And it's not the uh, don't insert jokes here because we know what you think the way is. No, we're going to come up with a way. And yes. we're, we're going to play baseball, whether it's the right way or not. We're going to have we're going to have a way instead of guys probably looking at coaches, guys as they come up through the system saying, oh, this is how we're going to do it this way. Oh, now I'm at Charlotte. I'm going to do it this way now. I'm not, I wonder what the consistency is. Well, it it's significant. Like in the majors, you see it. It's significant, Brett. Remember, Luis Robert Jr. did not even know the name of the hitting coach in the interview. Yeah. And I've never seen Chuck Garfine, who I've met a couple times, I've never seen Chuck more angry on the postgame show as right after that incident where he had to carefully measure his words because I'm sure Chuck likes the paycheck that he's getting. But you could tell in his voice and the way he looked how angry he was that Luis Robert Jr. did not even know the name of the White Sox hitting coach. Mm -hmm. You talk about the Dodgers and the Cardinals, and I would also put in the Orioles. You had growing up, me in the 60s, you had the Oriole way. You can make fun of it. But the bottom line is, those teams win. Mm -hmm. So there must be doing something right. Because those teams were winning consistently. That's not the only reason, of course, but that's part of it. Like you point out, from the lowest minor league level to the major leagues, this is how we do things. Runners on first and third, one out late in the game. This is what you do on a hit. Runners on second and third, tie game, middle innings. If we ask you to bunt, you're going to sacrifice and get the run home. In the 60s, I'll throw a little bit of trivia history out here for you. Under Al Lopez and Eddie Stanky, especially Eddie Stanky, and this shows you how the game has changed. If you did not execute, if you could not lay down a bunt, hit a sacrifice fly, get a runner from second to third with less than two out, Stanky would find you. Mm-hmm. And if he find you too much, you would find yourself at Indianapolis, which was the White Sox AAA affiliate back then, because back then managers had to hammer. And I've often joked, what would Lopez or Eddie Stanky or Chuck Tanner, God rest their souls, think watching this team from an execution fundamental standpoint, they'd be rolling over in their graves. They'd say, why is there a player's union? Obviously, you can't get away with any of that today. But but I mean, the point is, you need the idea that you can't even think of it, that you can't even um, measure playing time based on maybe uh, some some of that execution or, or lack thereof. Uh, you know, that's a real failing. That's why we see the White Sox at 12 games below 500 a year well, here's, ago. Here's, here's another thing Stanky would do. Because I've got, again, we're losing these people left and right. Joe Horland was a friend. Gary Peters was a friend. I've interviewed him extensively. Under Stanky, if you were a starting pitcher and you threw a certain number of ground ball outs, I think Tommy John told me he was 21, but there seems to be some debate on that. He would buy you a new suit of clubs. If you stole a base... He would buy you a new pair of dress shoes. 
you know, little incentives, which again, I, I guess you can't do today because of the contract situation, but that's what he would do to try and say, guys, we need you to do this. And here's a little carrot. If you can do this, we'll give you something a little extra because remember back then guys were not making a whole lot of money. Yeah. So a Last... new suit from Brooks brothers downtown in Chicago mm -hmm. or a new pair of dress shoes. That was a big yeah, deal for sure. Uh, last I remember year, you were asking me, Brett, go ahead. I think you mentioned it in the start of this. What does this season remind me of mm -hmm. and or remind a fan of? I honestly can't think yeah. of anything comparable because, yeah. I mean, think about it. Think about the last three years. In 2020, you had COVID, which completely changed the world. And the changes in many cases are permanent. Yeah. Uh, baseball changed fundamentally with the rule changes. You could not monitor players in the off season. There was no contact. There was limited spring mm -hmm. training. Yeah. Then there was rushed spring training in uh, July to try and play mm -hmm. a truncated schedule in August mm -hmm. and September. So that was 2020. In 2021, you had a labor impasse. The owners locked out the players, the second longest time period of no baseball activity since 1981. Players couldn't go to the team, you know, training camps, couldn't work out with team facilities. Guys were on their own. You could not contact players. You had a shortened spring training again. Then you had a condensed season because they had to try and make up that first week of games on off days. And now look at 2022, the WBC. Yeah. Again, guys not having a full offseason, guys having to come to play for their respective teams in this series of exhibitions earlier, not at their normal team spring training camp. And the White Sox had, I think, a half a dozen guys who were playing on different WBC yeah. teams. Yep. So it has been one thing after another for the last three years which is all factored in, not excusing what's happened with the White Sox themselves. I'm just saying it has not been normal for three years. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of any other era in White Sox history, even after the Black Sox, with this much convoluted change. Yeah. And I think that's got part of it. That's part of the reason, not all of it, but I do think that's part of it. It has not been normal for three years. In many yeah, respects. Yeah, you almost need, I mean, a first-year manager or a manager who is uh, over the hill. Those weren't necessarily the people to try to uh, steward sure. a team uh, through, yeah, what are very trying times. And it's easy to overlook, to, to, to think, oh, geez, hey, Yo Mancata and Luis uh, Robert in uh, Cuba played really well for those, you know, teams. They, you know, they were doing, well, no, but they're still not, you know, they're still not with a new manager. They're still not maybe, you know, learning how things are going to necessarily run. And I know this isn't exactly, you know, it's not uh, advanced placement physics either, but I mean, it still just helps, you know, to be around. And that, that's been the best of the last three off seasons. So, uh, the White Sox, a team that, you know, sort of has some some headless leadership, really going all the way up to the front office and maybe even ownership. Well, and if you, I mean, help. Pedro himself has twice now publicly told the mainstream media he thinks Moncada's herniated disc was the result of traveling on a plane for hours at a time from 
training camp in Arizona to Taiwan, from Taiwan to Miami, from Miami back to Arizona. Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. But, yeah, I've been on airplanes, on long airplane flights, and, yeah, your back starts to bother you. All of a sudden, he's been on these halfway around the world flights in a short period of time. Pedro thinks there's a connection. I have no idea if there is or not. There very well may be. So I asked the question of White Sox fans, guys, how do you like the WBC now? Because I personally don't. Yeah. But, you know, that's above my pay grade. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think with the excitement of popularity, it's it's not going to change anytime soon. I guess we're just uh, fortunate. It's not necessarily uh, every year. But of course, again, if we had some um, some some leadership with the White Sox and something maybe to stick around and play for uh, instead of coming off a 500 season, eh, maybe some guys make some different decisions about whether they even. Uh, and I will be curious, so. Brett, in the future, regardless as to whether current ownership is in place or new ownership. If they begin to have second thoughts and say, uh, no, we will not release you mm. to play for the United States or Cuba or Venezuela or whomever, there's simply too much of a risk. We're paying you X amount of dollars to play for the Chicago White Sox, not for a particular country that isn't paying you a dime. I'll True. be curious if that happens. I don't know if it will. Yeah. I'm sure the White Sox have some say in this, as any team does. Whether they try and drop the hammer, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay, yes, you anticipated my question about uh, some sort of his- historical. Sorry. And last year I was very, um, very hyped on the notion that this, after coming off of 94 wins, I believe, uh, being a 500 team that looked like it was going, and we were just waiting, waiting, waiting. I was comparing it a lot to 1984. Of course, it's not even close to the gulf that we saw between 1983 and 1984, but it was the closest maybe in my lifetime to be able to say, man, it was so gutting when it was going to be a no-brainer. This was going to be a winning team and a playoff team and probably take a step forward. Uh, and not only didn't do that, it struggled to be a 500 team. And, of course, it's a further step back now. You can't quite say 68 because 1967 was a much better season than uh, 2022. Uh, but it really is hard to place this team in history, because even if you want to say it's a late 80s kind of team in terms of uh, the final record, well, late mm-hmm. 80s, you had that Himes, uh, uh, you know, uh, talent geyser getting ready to explode and, and, and push the White Sox through the 90s. So I'm not really sure what this sits. I don't know that we've had a contention window that broke so quickly and it didn't actually ever materialize or materialized in the form of what? Uh, Two playoff wins, two two playoff wins. I Correct. Think. I mean that's uh, that's pretty gutting, and the fact that this team doesn't even is going to have to really get hot for the last mm, half plus of the season to be a five hundred team is uh, a stretch. I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, I didn't predict the team to be five hundred this year, but I also didn't predict them to lose ninety four games. I don't think anybody did. Uh, so it's pretty sick when you're evading even those extremely low expectations, Mark. I think this is what's angered a lot of White Sox fans. And again, I, the intent was not to do this, but this is the way perception becomes reality. When Rick Hahn talks about multiple contention windows, about multiple championships, his famous or infamous, and I'm paraphrasing, Talk to me after the parade. When you arrogantly put out those kind of comments 
or at least they're perceived to be arrogant, you damn well better deliver. And he hasn't. It's not all his fault. Let's be clear about that. He takes his orders just like you and I do from somebody who's signing his paychecks. It's not all on Rick Hahn, but a lot of it is. Yeah. And he's the one who's made these public statements. And White Sox fans have long memories. Yeah. He has kind of put himself in this situation. Oh, yeah. Not intentionally, I'm sure. I was told by one individual, in many cases in the press conference, Rick tries to come off as clever, you know, kind of a smart ass with one-liners, and it just never really works out. It comes across as something different. Yeah, and and the great example is what you cited, and that is the the talk to me after the parade. That came in an answer to say, listen, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You know, we'll we'll get some congratulations when we've done something. But you know, of course, now it gets you know it becomes a T-shirt that's an entirely different sort of T-shirt because it does come across as you know, and I mean that part of that is us all taking it and deciding to run with it in the way we want to, but. You know, not to defend, you know, Rick Hahn, even though, boy, I seem to be getting in a habit of that. Um, you know, I mean, well, and it he starts out one put, way. He has put his foot in his mouth oh, yeah. at times. Oh, yeah. You're coming after the fans. You're yes. I'm not going to be on your side. You know, yes. When period. he's making a claim that there are fans wanting the rebuild <laughs> yeah. to fail so that they could say, I told you so. <laughs> I did a double take when yeah. I read that. Yeah. I mean, Rick is an extremely intelligent man. He <laughs> went to Harvard Business School. Yeah. He went to Michigan law. I mean, he has a law degree and a business degree from two elite institutions. How you can make that kind of a statement. Mm -hmm. I could even see someone making that statement if they just came on the scene. Mm. They don't know the really? fan base. Yeah. yeah, Han has been here for decades. Yep. He knows the fan base. There yep. was no excuse for making that comment. I don't mm -hmm. care how upset he was. Yep. or how leading the question may have been, I think was from Chuck Garfine. Yeah, well, that was you a whole live, it, yeah. Yeah, you don't insult the fan base. You're paying customers. It doesn't mean they're always right. No. But no. you don't publicly trash yeah. the fan base, the ones who are paying <laughs> the freight. Yeah, I think that's, that's where a lot of... one, Brett. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure that was one of the first lessons that Rick mm -hmm. was taught at Harvard. Yeah. Yep, that's I think where a lot of people crossed over from pro Rick or willing a wait and see Rick to mm -hmm. oh wait no this guy doesn't have my back if he's coming after me just for like like a like a laugh line or you know some sort of weird points from Jerry or something oh come on that's that's just foolishness. Well now here's the big question because you you talked about okay what next? Assuming nothing changes radically with the White Sox, the trade deadline's coming up. What does Rick Hahn do? Mm -hmm. Does he make moves which on paper are the proper moves? Giolito is not coming back, mm -hmm. for example. I mean, the White Sox went to arbitration with him over $50,000, which is a drop in the bucket today. And both Giolito and his agent responded where it bothered them. He's not coming back. Yeah. Do you trade him? Do you trade Grandall if you can get something for him? Do you trade Eloy if you could get something to him? Because by doing that, Brett, even though logically it makes sense, what you're saying to the fan base is we have flushed this rebuild right down the toilet. Mm -hmm. 
will Rick Hahn's ego allow him to do that? Yeah. Because or it even, makes him look bad. Or even a kick, kicking it up above Rick, given the situation he's put the White Sox in with these successive off seasons and falling short on players and then and stammering and making excuses, how do you let him make those decisions at that point? He is your GM, yes. so he has to do it. But how can you – it's come up in our podcast several times where it's like, how is he the guy that's going to make the decisions? You almost have to stand pat because you don't want him making those decisions. That's the inmates running the asylum. <laughs> the same people who – and, again, it, it's not – I don't want this to be a Rick Hahn bash fest because, again, he takes his orders, mm-hmm. and we have no idea – how much Kenny Williams and Jerry Reinsdorf are still playing a part in this, but he's the general manager. He's the day-to-day face of the operations. The rebuild has not been a success. I don't care how you want to parse the numbers, Brett. No, this rebuild is not in the same universe as what the Astros did and what the Cubs did and what the Rays have consistently done, even though they have not won a World Series, mm-hmm. for example, the Dodgers, you know, I think they're on their way, or they have won like 11 or 12 straight division titles. This isn't even in the same universe. No, no. I would think minimally you want to have as many seasons intentionally losing as you end up then winning. And we, have, we haven't got that. Forget winning you know, rings. We don't have to win. At least with Kenny. And, and this is yep. something that, because uh, I broke this down one time. This is, I think, the 42nd year that Jerry has owned the franchise. From 1981 to 2006, I think the White Sox had something like 16 winning seasons. And they were generally in a race. Mm-hmm. So White Sox fans at least could think, okay, we're going to win more games than we lose. Okay, there's something there at least we can hang our hats on. Mm-hmm. Look at what's happened since 2007. They've had five winning seasons, five. Yeah. And one of those was the truncated 60-game yeah. right. COVID season. You can count that as a winning season or not, depending the on way the season wound up. And <laughs> the end of September, they might have not had a winning record. Well, they only had two starting pitchers because yeah. the front office decided they didn't want to get somebody. But my point is, you can't even count on the White Sox having a season where they win more than 82 games. Yeah. That's yeah. how things have deteriorated. Yeah. And that's the thing that's hard to explain to fans who are a little younger, who are basically born into this rebuild and just this misery is, and you know, because when I say now, the White Sox were traditionally a competitive team. That, I mean, obviously that's also vague, but it's like, okay, yeah, what does that mean? Or that's that's ridiculous. That's actually true. Now, does that mean anything that they were always a, maybe you could a safe bet for 500, that they'd be in a race within maybe 10 games of, of, of first place? Okay, maybe it doesn't mean much. To me, it does, because it certainly drew a line between the White Sox and the Cubs, who bottomed out just on a, even though they they probably made as much you know as many playoffs as the White Sox, etc. Uh, you just have so many throwaway seasons, so many hundred right. loss, ninety loss seasons. To me, that's a difference. I want to think I'm 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 in it. If you're a fan who's you know if you're a twenty year old fan, if you're even a thirty year old fan, you don't necessarily know anything more than this, and it's just misery. This is not what being a White Sox fan was. Yes. and it's hard to convey that to people you know who who maybe haven't even. Then we get to live through the 2000s where, where Ken Williams bring up really 2007 is the throwaway season. He had a few losing seasons, but they were seasons that were within, say, like five, 10 games of 500. You know, 
he was always there. Yeah, they won one title. They made a few playoffs. I mean, I guess that's nothing to, to you know, to scream about, but it's different to me. And certainly this nonsense of taking steps back to take a step forward when that step forward is not guaranteed. I even with the trash cans in Houston, it wasn't guaranteed with the Cubs. It wasn't guaranteed. Um, the, you know, the Rays, it's not guaranteed. So the idea that's like, we do this to get here and, you know, suddenly then, you know, call me after the parade. Well, we see well, it doesn't part, play part out that way. Is you have to have not only the structure in place in the front office, you have to have a minor league system. The Rays are terrific because they mm-hmm. consistently keep signing and drafting talent and developing them, and they produce at the major league level. The Dodgers have one of the largest payrolls in major league baseball history. They also have the number two ranked farm system in baseball, according to the last ratings. Yep. They can lose a half a dozen guys to injury, which they have this year, yep. and yet they're still going to make the playoffs. They may not win that division. But they're still going to make the playoffs and have a good winning record and give themselves an opportunity come October. Right. The White Sox those, do not have that. Yeah. Or you and use I'll those tell you something that will blow your mind. I'll tell you mm-hmm. something that'll blow your mind and any of okay. the listeners out there. I was born in 1955. I was 13 years <laughs> old before the Lucky. White Sox had a losing season. <laughs> Let me repeat that, folks, the old Spike Lee line from the commercials. I was 13 before I knew what it was like to have a losing baseball season. Because from 1955 to 1967, the White Sox always had a winning season. It actually started in 1951, even before I was around. So, yeah, you talk about a shock. Wait a minute. They've lost how many games? The White yep. Sox? Yep. Now, for this generation, it's kind of expected. Yeah. Which is a scary thing this is when a you think about franchise. it. Yes. And that's not anything this this team ever was. Even in the Vec years, he managed to stumble his way into rent a player and, and a very, very exciting season. Okay, fluke. He tried to repeat it, couldn't do it. But hey, that's one out of five years. We right. at this point we might take that ratio. We don't have that ratio right now. <laughs> we don't well, on. They've only had five winning seasons since yeah. 2007, yeah. one 500 season, yeah. and 10 losing seasons, if my math is right, soon to be 11. That is not a recipe for success, folks. Well, friends, we would patch the contention window if we could. I've got my handiness. Mark Liptak has his handiness, but I do not think this is something we can fix. I'm sorry that we weren't able to here. But, but it's nice I- to talk about it. Well, yeah. I mean, at a certain point, you're going to just have to check yourself into a facility, but we're holding strong. <laughs> We've got the break of an all-star uh, break coming up soon. Who knows what's going to happen in this division? It's it's destined to not be a great season. The Sox will be lucky to be 500, which it turns out could end up winning a division, but uh, you just got to figure that a team in the division is going to get hotter than that. Remember, so Brett, remember as we sign off, remember the White Sox fan philosophy. Hope for the best, expect the worst. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> and Please come back. And you'll you'll make it through somehow. Uh, Take please. care, my friend. Please come back for other podcasts in the future. <laughs> hey, listen, this has been the case, unfortunately, now for uh, we're going on probably a year of these just like 
ho-hum hang dog <laughs> podcast where we just hope for better, but we know it's not going to happen. It's going to be a tough season, but we're going to laugh uh, together through it. Um, uh, Mark, uh, you with us as well. So uh, we'll be seeing you soon, certainly for uh, uh, history and uh, Dish Deluxe podcast, but maybe even some of these Mothership podcasts as well as we check in and see how this team is suffering, struggling, et cetera. And we just hope, hope for a ray of sun to poke through the clouds, but it's been, it's been, it's been cloudy since March, Mark. It's been pretty cloudy yeah. since March. So I'm not sure anything's going to break anytime soon. Well, Thanks you, everybody always have, you always have your, your, at least I do. I always have my VHS tapes. I actually have four working VHS machines <laughs> and my DVDs and my audio tapes of better seasons and better games. And yes, I do listen to them, especially in seasons like this one. It's true. Yeah, it is sad. But I mean, we do have to, you know, we do have to tap into the glory years to know that just that if nothing else, we're just not this dumb. We're not this, we're not, we're not, we're not masochists because no, there's a reason we were right. I mean, you pointed out a, a string of winning seasons. I wasn't so lucky, but again, I was born into a, a competitive Chicago White yeah. Sox team. And the, the idea that people are born into a, a White Sox team that you would just feel almost maybe ashamed about, or you'd look at your father who, who handed the fandom or your brother and say, what were you thinking? What do you, what'd you do to me? Um, that's sad. Cause that isn't what being a White Sox fan, you know, has been none of us necessarily, or very few of us can tap back into the, you know, the, the, the death Valley of the, uh, of 21 to 50. So, you know, aside from that era, I mean, we've seen nothing like this and it's, it's sad to have to review and it's sad to know that there's so little hope at the end of the tunnel, but we're going to be here with you listeners, viewers, we're, we're all going to be here with you suffering alongside you. I was going to say, we will suffer together. (laughs) Exactly. We will stick together. Uh, Mark, thanks for doing this with me. And uh, we'll do it again uh, real soon, I hope. You take care. Be safe. And again, it was my pleasure.